0: Welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is Teo Gray. Teo, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, well, I'm Teo Gray or Theodore Gray in a more formal situation. Um, I have several hats. I'm uh, a co-founder of Wolfram Research, inventor of the uh, notebook user interface since lovingly copied by Jupyter Notebooks, but we did it first. Uh, I then took a kind of an extended leave of absence or something to uh, work on books. I wrote a book called The Elements, which was fairly popular, made into an iPad app. Uh, And recently I've done a series of three books about mechanical things. uh, The most recent of which is a book called Tools. So maybe it's not too surprising I'm on this podcast. Um, And uh, then I'm actually back now at Wolfram working on AI educational tutoring things and LLMs and GPTs and all that stuff. Um, but my heart has always been in the books and the tools.
0: We are so, so delighted to to have you here. And um, tools is what you know, and we'll get to your book at the end. But out of the thousands of tools that you seem to have in your workshop, can you tell us about some of your favorite tools that you like to share with our readers? And I also want to remind those who've been listening that you have been on our podcast before and have shared some other tools This isn't your first time, but tell us what some of the tools. We're
1: we're at favorites number nine through twelve, so there's eight other tools that came first. Yeah, Um, exactly. But but I now have like some of these are like these are new tools that I did not know about before or had not actually had one before, and some of them are just really amazing and beautiful, uh, and maybe would make it you know higher up on the list.
0: So um, so give us give us some. Examples of something that you think um, our readers should know about.
1: So I've got them kind of scattered around. This is my new studio space, uh, and they're they're just kind of mixed up. So this this is a lovely thing. This I, I saw this recently on like $30 on Amazon. I got it for a little more than that at Harbor Freight. And you know those tool the bit sets that you get? They have 115 bits in them, and every single one that I've ever owned, within a very short time, there's a bit missing it's just it's impossible. it doesn't matter how careful you are. There's one hundred and fifteen of them, one of them is going to go bad and then it's just your life is over. You have a ruined bit set you every time you look at it you you recriminate about why did you lose that bit or or break it or whatever. So this is a bit set that has only the ones you're actually going to use because out of those hundred and fifteen you might use you know eight of them or something on a regular basis. This has got all the ones you'd actually use and it's got a whole bunch of them that's more of them of the smaller sizes so, right.
0: and, so and so what, you, what know, you is showing those who can't see it is is a little case and there's, a, there's an array of uh twisted drill bits and there are multiple versions of each size in some of the sizes
1: yeah the small i mean the biggest one there's only one but then you get down to the smallest i think it's maybe a sixteenth of an inch there's like I don't know, twenty of them in here or something, because these are really easy to break. They're really easy to lose, Um, and then as you know, as you go up to larger and larger sizes, there's fewer and fewer of them. Oh, here's even smaller ones over here. Yeah, Um, there's, and it's just it's so nice knowing that I could use this probably for the rest of my life, and unless I loaned it to a teenager. there would be at least one bit left of every size. Right,
0: right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that is sort of more of a lifetime supply in that sense because they have they have deliberately chosen the ones that are more likely to break or lose. To re- right, to
1: yeah, and, and with the with the regular sets, you know, you've got a quarter inch bit, you're going to use that, but then you've got one that is, you know, like a sixty fourth of an inch bigger than a quarter of an inch, whatever how many 64ths fourths that is. Yeah, when are you ever going to? There's one and only one situation that you're going to use that, and that's when you've lost the quarter-inch bit because you right. use it so much. Exactly. And it's the next bit.
0: So we'll have so a, why not
1: just quarter-inches? Yeah,
0: we'll have a link for that. Um, you can get them on Amazon's or Harbor Freight. They, they seem to be kind of a generic thing for for many. These are t- twisted drill bit sets.
1: Yeah. This, I mean, it's cheap. It's, it's titanium, but that's not doesn't really mean a whole lot. They're yeah. probably not great quality, but you're going to lose them soon anyway. So, yeah. you know, this is not the... The high quality set for drilling your hardened steel—it's yeah, just this, the one that you're going to abuse,
0: right? It's your everyday carry for drill bits. So, Theo, what's uh, another tool in your favorites?
1: So, this actually a very similar tool was in an earlier favorites list, but we're going to go back here in the archives. Um, <laughs> these uh, are uh, shelves. He was I've, walking so
0: along uh, metal framed shelving of infinite. Think of the um, end of Raiders of the Lost Ark and the great big.
1: Exactly. In fact, we have some boxes with that exact purpose. They're meant to never be found. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and so some of them are just loose. Like, this is basically all the tools from the tools book. And the bigger ones are just kind of out on shelves. But then over here, there's a set of uh, 60, 70 boxes, crates, these wooden uh, plastic crates. Each one is numbered, and there's a database. So actually, if you go to PeriodicTableOfTools.com and you look down to an individual tool, at the very bottom, it'll tell you a box number, which is not very useful to most people. But to me, it tells me what box it's in so I can go find it uh, when I need it. But anyway, we're here for this tool. Wow! So in an an earlier version of this, I had a a red Milwaukee handheld Mm bandsaw that I've had. I mean, that one I've had for decades. Um, and it's corded, you know, old school. Um, but I saw this thing. And this you're is holding, like... You're
0: holding a, a, it's like a yellow, maybe DeWalt, tiny little a, portable bandsaw that's cordless.
1: Cordless, tiny. It's like, I don't know, the size of... Um, I don't know, what is this the size of a very small rabbit or something?
0: Um, um, yeah, Or a large handbag.
1: A large handbag. Yeah, that's a good description. But it's much smaller. It's like half the size of my old one. And it's, you know, Um uh, works great. I think the last, it's kind of dusty now. I've actually used it. This one I actually bought brand new, which is rare, uh, just to photograph it. But I've since, you know, been using it. One time I had to loan it to a friend whose bicycle was stolen. And she found the bicycle on the street, locked up with a different lock, and called the police. And they said, well, we can't really help you. We don't deal with that stuff, but you can steal it back if you want. <laughs> so she borrowed this to go and cut the lock off of her own bicycle to steal it back from the person who'd stolen it, which yeah. I thought was a good use, good use of the tool. Yeah.
0: Um, and, and, so, and so this has a blade that enables you to cut metal or almost anything else, wood, Yeah, blackboard. it's
1: like a hacksaw. It's, it's basically a circular saw hacksaw. Um, and it, the throat capacity is only like an inch and a half or something, but it's so you know compared to like a demolition saw, you know, what a reciprocating saw, right. you know, those are very jerky and you can cut through almost anything with them. This thing is just smooth as butter, like a full-size bandsaw. It just right. it's always doing changing, you know, moving in the same direction, so it doesn't jerk the right. material around. Um, they're just, I mean, when I bought the first one, a good, I don't know, 25 years ago. I think they were relatively new tools. Now they're, you know, they're everywhere, and they've got these battery-powered ones. And modern, bat- modern battery-powered tools are so amazing, like so powerful—the yeah. brushes, motors, and lithium batteries. I mean, there's not many things left. There are some, but not many. Right. That you and, really need. to support
0: And con- contractors also use often use just to cut rebar on location.
1: I could certainly imagine that. Yeah, if you didn't have a like a hydraulic rebar cutter thing. Right, right. Um, if,
0: you, if you just want to have a little quick one there, and it was, you cut rebar really fast right on the site.
1: Another cordless tool that I got for uh, putting in our underfloor heat pipes is a cordless rebar rebar wire tying machine, which we have like two pieces of rebar crossing, and you need to, to wrap a wire around it to hold them together in place before the concrete's poured. But this is the thing. It's a gun. You point it and pull, pull a trigger, and... It just whips the wire around it and twists it off in a, in a matter of seconds. Um, speaking of contractors and rebar.
0: Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so to Theo, um, give me a third um, cool tool that you like to um, share with our watchers. And Theo now is walking through the labyrinth of, of shelves to something that looks more like a museum.
1: Yeah, so this is the uh, museum area, um, we got a bunch of things. I mean, this is a player piano, it's beautiful. It plays, it's not a tool though. Um, there's this little uh, screwdriver set, which is astonishingly beautiful just because of its precision, but that's not what we're here for. I mean, this thing spins, it's like a, you know, Italian sports car or something, even a little hips on the end spin. Is that on our list? This might be on our list. Um,
0: yeah, Mini we were scooter. looking at uh, your favorite um, little tiny micro driver set. The one's yeah, that-
1: that's, that's that. this this is it. This is on the list. Anyway, yeah, so it's beautiful. It's got ball bearings. It's super solid. And so this is like it's, it's to put it's the end of the tiny screwdriver, it's sort of a curved end. And the idea is you can push with your palm, and um, because the the end of it here that you push on with your palm is it spins freely. It's like a ball bearing. It lets you turn the screwdriver easily while you're pushing against it. Uh, but like, and most of them are just kind of, you know, it doesn't have to spin very well. This thing, uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to hear it, but you hear it spinning?
0: Yeah, it's a real ball bearing. You
1: hear it still spinning? It's like a fidget spinner. Yeah, It's such a you know, high quality ball bearing. that will sit here and spin for a minute or something which is completely unnecessary from the point of view of the, the screwdriver. But, right. I mean, it's still going. Um, uh-huh. Barely slowed down. It's like a super high-quality ball bearing here Yeah, that this lightweight thing will just keep spinning. And these are not overly expensive. I actually got these during the pandemic when um, I really, really wanted to go to China to walk around the markets there to find cool, interesting tools. And it just, like, that was... Absolutely not Not possible uh, during that phase of the pandemic. So I eventually um, uh, paid a translator that I'd worked with before to put me on a Zoom call, and, and she walked through those markets, holding wow. the phone. <laughs> and uh, and I told her, like, just go to different different places. I mean, I'd worked with her a bunch before, so she knew I was crazy. Um, and just go to these vendors and ask them to show her a tool that I have not seen before. <laughs> like, get out your, your thing. <laughs> and uh, uh and i got some weird things uh and uh, then you know i'd have her buy it and and ship it to me yeah um, and this one she came to this booth and it's this company ma m-a-a-n-t um and they make a pretty broad line of uh a lot of it's like cell phone repair they have this beautiful little vice for holding um airpods like the earphone earbud things mm-hmm. like perfectly machined to exactly hold this the case without marring it of three different generations of AirPods or not what are they called? What's the the, the Apple thing you oh but it's AirBuds
0: uh, uh AirPods. Air, Airbo- AirPods. yeah airpods yeah. I
1: don't think there's anything as an airpod it's an AirBud. Anyway the tiny little headphone things. Um, and you have to hold them perfectly or else you'll end up scratching or denting it or something. So beautiful machine thing. And they make these screwdriver sets and this the you know there's the base. It's got magnetic stuff. This, um, I mean, I got it that way through the market in Shenzhen, but uh, they sell it on AliExpress. I think you're going to have a link. Um,
0: yeah, and, so and that's, again, uh, what it is is a, a set of different little ball bearing tipped drivers for different uh, small screwdrivers of various, and the ends have different bits.
1: Right, and the ends are tiny. These are like cell phone repair screwdrivers. Right. So, and and there's like a a pentalobe. You know, some of them have the pictures on the top of what what it is. So, right. you know, to get a Mac open or an iPhone open or something. Um. And I just ask for like, give me a a selection that will be decorative. Give me one of each color. I don't even care what they are because yes. they're they're these are actually not to be used. I don't fix cell phones anymore. After iPhone seven, I don't touch them. Um.
0: But um, why but- is that? Why don't Apple just recently changed their policy to make them repairable? Why did you, you know, I do?
1: Stopped, I stopped because the iPhone eight, the screen is glued on so oh. firmly that it's like, it's not worth trying to get it off, but give that to somebody else. Um, but yeah. Plus there's just too many people asking me to fix phones and that's not really like what I want to do with. My life. Um,
0: uh-huh. Okay. Well, so, um, so Tio, um, Give us your fourth, uh, your fourth selection.
1: So, I, for some reason, I thought I'm losing count. We may have to have five here because this this guy is definitely on my list. Um, there's a page in the book called uh, "the the instrument that changed my intuition about the size of light." Um, so, like, what is the size of light? What does that even mean? Well. You know, if you think about light, it has it has a wavelength. Every color of light has a characteristic wavelength. Um, and that's kind of the smallest dimension that you could measure or see. You know, you can visualize something. You can't see anything with light that's smaller than a wavelength of light. Um, so, and I would always had just sort of had in my head that a wavelength of light is really, 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 really small, like much smaller than any sort of dimension of a physical object that you would machine or a tolerance that you would try. Like, you don't machine things to one wavelength of light unless you're talking about, you know, optical components or something um, where there's all kinds of special techniques. Um, and so then I encountered this thing, which is which is Swedish, so you have to pronounce it as a microcopter Um... And uh, this one is probably from the 60s or so. They don't make this anymore because there's newer technology, digital sort of stuff that's much more boring. Um, But this thing, it has a, on the bottom here, it has a ruby sphere. There's a a little red ruby ball, which needs to be, the the fanciest ones are diamond. This is like second-rate ruby because it it has to be extremely high.
0: And what and what Teo is, is, is pointing to, it looks like you kind know, like a microscope stand. There there's a base. Yes, there's a, platform, a the there's a vertical post with some knobs on it, and then there's a head of some sort that we'll hear about and a magnifying glass. But the whole thing from afar it looks kinda of like a microscope.
1: Kind of like a microscope. But there's a couple of things you notice. First of all, it's incredibly heavy. And that's because this column, this two-inch diameter column that on, a, on any sensible instrument or like even a drill press or something like that, it would be hollow. On this thing, it's two-inch solid steel bar. It, it's, it's literally solid. Why? Why do you need to have a solid bar, far more robust than even a drill press would have, on a delicate measuring instrument? We'll get to that. Um, anyway, so the measuring tip is this ruby sphere. And then up on the top, let me move this uh, out of the way. So there's a scale which reads from minus 10 to plus 10.
0: It's an analog scale. So.
1: It's an analog scale. So it's like a dial, like a dial indicator. Right. Um. And when I first got this thing, I tried, like, pushing on it and try to see. I don't know if you can see anything. It took me a while before I could even see it. But do you see it? There's, there's like, a little red pointer that's kind of flicking around. Um. Just, just on the, on the dial j- is a seat. little
0: arrow that just flickers around almost faster than you. Can
1: I'm holding it as steady as I can, um, and what I'm doing is just pushing up on the tip a little bit. So what this is is a height comparator. It has one job: is you can put something on the table and then uh, lower the head onto it, and you know get a measurement, get it to a certain number on the dial. By adjusting the height of the table, and then you can take that thing out and put something else in there, and it will tell you what is the difference in height between the difference in thickness between those two objects, as long as that difference is less than one ten thousandth of an inch. So that's where this thing gets weird. This scale minus ten to plus ten, that is minus ten thousandth of an inch to plus one ten thousandth of an inch. The divisions on the scale are two one millionth of an inch. Wow. and the magnifying glass you can read between the lines so this thing has a resolution of about 50 nanometers
0: wow that you
1: can read and it's and properly set up and treated and and with all the right conditions it's accurate to about 50 nanometers so what is that what is 50 nanometers well green light like sort of middle of the road green light has a wavelength of 500 nanometers so this thing is mechanically measuring th- thicknesses of objects to one tenth of a wavelength of light wow. on an absolute scale. Wow! And that just it blew my mind. Like, right. how could it's a mechanical device? How can it possibly do that? Um, you know, I thought to to do that sort of measurement. I mean, it's not something I really knew about. If I'd looked into it, I wouldn't have been so surprised. But I would have thought, well, you have to use interferometry or something like that. Well, actually, it's difficult with an interferometer to measure a tenth of a wavelength, you know, because you have a fringe. The fringes are separated by one wavelength. So reading an interferometer to a fraction of wavelength, it can be done, but it's tricky. And there are techniques where you can get it, you know, down to about this level of precision. But to do it mechanically, like I say, blew my mind. It completely changed my opinion. It made me realize that, you know, a, a, a common shop dial indicator with a resolution of one ten thousandth of an inch well so that's obviously much cruder like one fine division on that instrument is the entire scale on this one but nevertheless that's only like i don't know 10 or 20 wavelengths of light so even with a common shop dial indicator you're almost down there in the range Uh, light is not really that small right it's actually just you know it's a step below what you commonly would would measure but it's not like 100 feet underground, you know, compared to the level at which you normally engage in precision.
0: And what would people Um, who had this device ordinarily be using it to measure?
1: Well, there's only one thing you can do with this. Because, like, what what two objects do you have in your house that are within a ten-thousandth of an inch of each other? Probably nothing. Um, The only things that you realistically can do with this is compare the height of two gauge blocks, Uh, uh, which are... Height reference, there, their, you know, their distance references. And the way this typically works is you're a company, you're doing some kind of precision manufacturing or even not so precision manufacturing. You need to calibrate your instruments. Uh, to do that, you need a set of gauge blocks. Um, if you're a fancy company, you have one set of gauge blocks, which you mail into NIST every, uh, every six months. And they charge you a whole bunch of money and mail it back with a certificate that tells you the exact deviation of your block to the blocks that they keep. Uh, so you have this sort of calibrated traceable reference of gauge blocks. Those are way too expensive to actually use in your in your factory floor to calibrate your instruments. You keep those in a special room, temperature controlled, you know, only certain people are allowed in, whatever. Um, and you have a second set of gauge blocks that are your working ones. And you use an instrument like this to calibrate one against the other. At least that's how it used to be done. I think there are now, you know, modern methods and modern measuring instruments where much of that difficulty is is not so difficult anymore. But, you know, this, the, the, the company invented this. Um, they invented gauge blocks also. I mean, the guy who invented this thing invented gauge blocks also, which are the, you know, that was sort of the, the, that is the way in which precision measurements are communicated around the world. What is an inch, what is a centimeter, what is a millimeter? It's the height of this block. Um, in practice, I mean, in you know, in the the standards, it's now some you know distance and in, in, um, time of flight of light in a vacuum, but that's not a super practical way of uh, of measuring things. So you get these gauge blocks, and actually using it, it's like if you read the procedure, there's a 140 page booklet from NIST about how you how you deal with gauge blocks. Like you have to put the whole thing in a temperature controlled room where the temperature is controlled within a small fraction of a degree using a calibrated traceable thermometer, because the dimensions depend on the temperature quite strongly by these standards. When you actually come in here, you can't pick up the blocks with your hands. You pick them up with tweezers because the heat from your fingers would distort the dimensions of the block. You have to wear a mylar suit because your body heat radiating into the instrument would distort, You know that, that amount of heat would distort the measurement. Um, that's why it's solid here because it's not for strength; it's for absolute rigidity. It must not flex even the tiniest bit because you're literally, wa- you know, measuring fractions of a wavelength of light in the displacement here. So it's like a huge, uh, involved process. I got it for 80 bucks at an auction because either nobody else knew what it was or nobody cared because anybody who would care has the new digital version, uh-huh. and this thing is completely obsolete. I'm not sure what, but anyway. Uh, best $80 I spent in a long time because it just, like I say, it, it really, it it changed the way I think about light. You know, after after many decades of thinking, light was incredibly small. Now I think it's like, it's pretty small, but it's not that small.
0: <laughs> well, that's really wonderful. So, Tio, do you have, um, you said you had a fifth one for us.
1: Well, I have so many. I mean, you know. You have so another
0: 5,000, but, but wait, how about the next one?
1: So the, the, the next one that I, so I have come to realize how much I love this thing. There's another thing I got at an auction, probably twenty-five years ago. Um, but I think you can still buy basically exactly the same thing. I see them around. Uh, it's called a Handy Herman, um, and it's just a, a little man lift. So, so you're,
0: you're you're pointing to a contraption it's like maybe a made of aluminum. There's some wheels, some like caster-like wheels. This is very oversized, and there's a cage that Tio's getting into. A little rich. Red- That's attached to the uprights, kind of like a forklift. Not quite. I'm not sure how to describe it.
1: So, first of all, don't ever do this, kids. Don't do this at home. You're not supposed to ride up this thing without the uh, outriggers out, but I'm not going to go as high as it could. So, hopefully, I won't fall over. And um, anybody dies.
0: So, now your lift it's like an elevator that's hoisting up a cage. And, oh, I see, the the brackets, they te- they telescope up. The telescope, yeah, like not. a telescoping ladder that holds his cage or platform that he's rising on a base. The base remains stable. Okay, wow. So, that's cool.
1: About 30 feet up. I'm not going to go any higher here. We're in the, the high ceiling area of my studio here. Um It's super convenient being able to get to the top. This drywall is not finished yet, but uh, we'll get to it. And um, it's just great. It's so much safer than a ladder. so much more convenient. You can go up and
0: down, back down again. Um, You say you can go up to 30? (laughs) What's what's the top height? What's the top height?
1: uh, I think it goes about 30 feet high. uh, I haven't really measured exactly. It goes as high as the ceiling of my shed, um, which is high enough for me.
0: Right, and um, moving it around, um, Do you can you push it around with your own weight, or do you need uh, a machine to help you move it?
1: This is a very lightweight thing. It just rolls around, right? It's on wheels. Um, we actually move it. We, we can roll it onto a trailer. Like I say, you're supposed to, for safety reasons, you're supposed to
0: put out. out <laughs> but, readers, yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> I see. and. Wow. Is it is it cordless? Is it um, run off a of battery or or what?
1: It has just a regular car battery that it runs off, and it'll run for I don't know. I charge it every few weeks if I'm using it regularly. It's run for quite a while.
0: Wow, and so I
1: think think less. Like I got a forklift. To, this kind of because it was fun, you know, to have a forklift and found it to be really very useful. Um,
0: this handy Herman. Do you recall w- what they might run?
1: Well, I paid, I remember exactly because I'm always, I always remember when I got a super good deal. So that was $220 at auction about 25 years ago. I believe a new, like a brand new one. I mean, I would guess, I don't know, five, 6,000, something like that. Okay. I don't know. Sure. I don't think many people buy these things new. Like they, you know, this kind of equipment, it's constantly available, used. It lasts forever. Like, I imagine like maybe big companies who don't care about money. You know, Apple probably buys new forklifts. Everybody else buys used forklifts. Um,
0: but but uh, Apple like might be one. selling used forklifts.
1: Yeah. So when they're not good, it's like the, it's like the story about the cable car, you know, the, the things that take you up in the mountain, the cable car right. particulars. I'm Swiss, right? So we have a story. It's like the, the, the Swiss buy new cable car cables. And when, they're, when they no longer meet the Swiss safety standards, they sell them to the French. And then, when they no longer meet the French safety standards, they sell them to the Italians and then they break. <laughs> um, so, you know, Apple sells their forklift to, you know, Ford and Ford sells them to whatever. <laughs> and eventually, um, me. So sh- and
0: so, sh- sh- show us your For forklift. Sh- show me your forklift. Is, is that forklift. electric as well? Uh, say again. Is it electric?
1: It uh, also runs on a car batteries.
0: Wow. That's so cool. So you have a little tiny one-person forklift.
1: It goes up and down under power, but you have to push it around. So when it's got a ton or so of weight on it, it's pretty hard to push. We got another one recently, which is in a different building, that also drives itself, and that's a huge step up in forklift technology. Right. Um, but it's too big for it to be in here. It sticks out too far in the back. This and this, small, you can and this looks
0: also like something that you bought at an auction or used.
1: Yeah, no I would never buy something like this new. It's not like I need it, you know. Um yeah. but it's in the book. And when you when you get a good deal, like what am I going to do not buy a forklift for for pennies on the dollar? <laughs> it's be crazy. Um,
0: if you have the room for it, I think that's an important thing. And you Right.
1: Well, plus, you know, it's been super useful. Uh, there's a number of things that are in here. Oh, this guy. This is one that we use the forklift on.
0: So, um you're he's crossing his studio warehouse um, to a it looks like it's a lathe or milling machine or something or press. I can't tell.
1: It looks a lot. There's a press over there. This is not a press. This is um, a an old school pantograph milling machine. Okay. So like the bottom half of it looks a lot like a milling machine. It has a, a knee. It has a, a cross slide. Um, but the top half of it is bizarre. It's it's a pantograph, just like you would you know like you'd use for for tracing with a pencil to scale up or down a drawing, except it's you know heavy steel bars for the the four parts of the kind of parallelogram of a uh, of a pantograph, and uh, as a stylus on one end, you move that around and that moves the the head, and the head is a very fine. Stylus engraving stylus, little, it's like a little milling bit, but very small. Um, and it, and you can either magnify or demagnify, uh, by tracing a pattern, like you trace a pattern with the stylus, and then it reproduces that shape at a different scale,
0: right? And and, 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 that, just... and, the, and again, to describe the top end, there's a bunch of parallelograms that are hinged, and as you move one, it moves the other arm at a slower. Proportional rate.
1: Yeah. And by sliding the point, the pivot points, you know, you can slide them on these different bars here and that changes the ratio right? of, you know, how, how much, um, this thing came from the, the state sale of a record producer in Kansas city, uh, who the auction had a whole bunch of like high end re- recording equipment, studio equipment for sound recording, because he was a record producer and this thing, and nothing else like it i have no clue why this guy had this thing in his garage um but it's an incredible machine if you research it um it's uh like nobody would ever want it today because you get a digital version that's just more convenient in every way and this thing weighs like a ton literally um but i was just i was randomly watching uh, watchmaking videos because i was working on the um a chapter on clocks and i just was watching this this youtube video of a Japanese watchmaker who like he hand makes from scratch entire uh, wristwatches. And suddenly I realized it's this machine. He had this exact machine in his workshop and he was using it to engrave incredibly intricate patterns on watch faces. So, you know, imagine this machine, it literally weighs a ton, something in that, you know, couple thousand pound range. Um, Looks very brutal, you know. But he had this fine, uh, I don't know if it was gold or what it was, you know, watch face mounted in there and a, a great big template, like a foot across with a detailed pattern that he was reproducing way shrunk down, you know, minimo- miniaturized right. on this watch face. Um, and that kind of, made, kind of made me realize this is, this is like a, a pretty seriously capable tool. In the right
0: yeah. hands. Yeah, yeah. And they you know, they, they do make tinier pentographs for drawing and art, just in case someone's interested in that, you don't need this big engraving tool.
1: Well, right. And see for this thing, you have to have the original. You have to have the design in some physical form. Right. What you'd use today is depending on the circumstance, you might use a laser engraving machine or you might use just a CNC mill right. with a fine stylus. Like I have a, a little C N C mill over there which we use. For it. Um right. and that can create any pattern just from a digital file. You don't need right. to make hand right. make a template first. And I think they can be just as precise. And they're right. much smaller, much right. lighter weight. But as usual, the modern version is way less beautiful somehow. I mean this
0: <laughs> Yeah, it, is. it is gorgeous. So 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 Tio, is there another um final tool that you might have that is uh maybe accessible for people to grab whole one very easily?
1: Something you could actually
0: buy <laughs> on Amazon or eBay. Uh, there there was, there was a couple of tools. There was one tool in your magnificent tool book, which we'll talk about in a minute that I'd never seen before, which was, and let me see if I can describe it. It was two long strips of metal that were attached. And there was for aligning holes in two surfaces um, two, two pieces. Oh, yeah. And um, yeah, one no, registered like, yeah, at yeah, the I'm bottom sure. hole, and the other one had a borehole at the top perfectly right. in register with that. And it was a way to register two holes in two pieces of material.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it solves this problem of let's you have like two sheets that are, you know, together, and you need to drill a, and they're like, you can't separate them for some reason, whatever. And you want to mark so that the hole through one will exactly match a hole through the other. And for one reason or another, you can't just drill a hole through both. You need to right. make the hole separately. So you need to mark them. And this is a thing that you can, it's like a tweezers kind of, you, you stick it around one sheet and it and register it with a hole. I guess the problem is, I say you already have a hole in the bottom sheet, and you want to get a hole in the top sheet in exactly the same location. Right but you can't separate them you can't like there's no way to yeah, measure right, easily right, right. so you stick this thing in here it has a pin that fits down into the existing hole and and then it positions a little drill guide sleeve um, exactly above it in the other sheet and so now you can drill through the upper sheet and it'll get you exactly the the right place in the bottom sheet those are pretty cool they I just I don't know where I bought it but they're they're um um yeah. If you know what they're called, you can Google it. And now I'm trying to remember what it's called. Yeah. I would have to look in my, to see what it's actually called um, or, uh, or on my.
0: Th- that's always a challenge with tools is like if, getting a name. Cause once you get a name, you can search for it, but often coming up with a name is hard. So, so do you have another um, tool that you um, uh, find yourself, you find yourself using often?
1: A tool that I use often um, that's not just boring. I mean, okay, all right, here we go. Here's a tool that I actually gave short shift to in the book. Um, so don't don't look at this table. That's like it's too ugly. Let's go over here. Stay away from that table. Um, so so if you if you look around here, right, this this whole space, um, this is my new studio space, which I built starting in February of this year. It nearly killed me. Um so I was doing a lot. What, what,
0: what did you start with? Was it framed already, or did you build the whole thing?
1: No, uh, it was. So underneath us is a concrete floor, but that was gravel. This this whole thing is inside a uh, a farm shed that I've had for many years. Okay. Um, it was just it was just like you know it's a it's a farm shed. It's not airtight. It's, it's not like weather tight. The rain comes in. It's got a gravel floor. Um, but it's a solid structure. It's basically two stories high, like a twenty five foot ceiling or so. Um and I realized that I could just build a room inside that. So this room is like a half or so of the, the total size of that shed. Um and uh you know it started with gravel floor, so we poured concrete and then and then framed it and it's got you know ceilings and well, everything's finished except the the mudding and painting of this yeah. section of drywall here. Um but anyway, so the point is I you know I had done kind of like residential construction kind of stuff. I built the house that I lived in for many years. Um, But I hadn't done it for a while um, because I was busy, you know, pretending to do it in books or something. Um, But here I actually had to, like, I built almost all of this. um, uh, And so I was really seriously using tools again. And one thing that, and this was after the tools book was, was finished, like it was in the bag as far as the manuscript, which is a shame because I ran into several tools that I probably should have written about, but didn't. And one of them is this ratchet driver thing. Um, and I kind of mentioned in the book, I mentioned that they exist, but that I never really used one. It seemed like, I don't know if that's a great idea. This is a great idea. I mean, now that I've actually used one, this is like a mid-grade Milwaukee. It's not the, not the fanciest, but it's a brushless motor. Um, so it's like... A-
0: so it, it looks... It looks like a looks like a cordless drill from the outside. So how is it different?
1: Well, first of all, it's a lot shorter. Yeah. Right. It's much smaller, much lighter. The, the head is
0: shorter, the overall a little shorter. Okay.
1: And uh it doesn't have a chuck. It just has this little hex drive socket, like uh that you that you drive screwdriver bits with. Right. That has like a quarter inch hex uh mm-hmm. drive on one side and then a whatever kind of bit. This is a Phillips here, but you can get whatever uh, kind you want. Um, and the thing that distinguishes this, so it's loose here, right? I can twist it back and forth. He's so twisting, you pull the
0: trigger. twisting the bit in the front, so it's actually not um, like an ordinary drill, but you would be able to do yeah. that.
1: Right. Um, but you can pull the trigger, and it, it moves just like a drill, but if you're drilling something if i don't know if i could do it with my fingers or not no i can't i can't but if you're putting a screw in and you get beyond a certain amount of torque needed it starts hammering kind of like an impact wrench right but right. not as not as beefy like it's a lightweight impact wrench essentially um and it turns out this works incredibly well for driving screws um you know that you could never drive with a regular right. screwdriver. So, I mean, for example, like Phillips bits, they're famous for camming out, right? You, you try to drive it, you can't really use them. That's why people invented square drive and, and, and Torx and Posit Drive and all these other things, um, because of how much Phillips sucks. But it turns out that with an impact driver, and I don't know if this is true or not, but my theory is that... Um, You know, the the reason that the the Phillips cams out is because if you have sort of constant torque like you would with a a regular drill. Then, you know, every time it jiggles a little bit, the bit works its way a little bit out. And so it just kind of works its way out. And then it starts spinning and you ruin the bit or you ruin the drill or the the, the screw or whatever. This thing, it's like once it's up to this mode where it's going into hammer mode that somehow happens automatically, um, it, I, I imagine it kind of like it, it hits the screw a little bit, and then it backs off. And so, if you're pushing in with some force, um, it you know it, it hits and then it backs off, and that gives the bit a chance to reseat itself. Right. And you know, and so you can act, you can take like a four inch long, um, you know, construction screw with a Phillips head and drive it into you know four inches of of, of construction lumber. And not cam out, just right. reliably. It'll just keep going until you sink the head. Right. Which there's right. no way you can do that with Phillips, the regular Phillips drive. So this thing has really impressed me with um being, you know, lightweight, powerful, drive screws you couldn't otherwise drive. Uh, yep. totally great invention that I that I didn't give proper credit to in the book because I hadn't actually used one because they're <laughs> kind of a new invention.
0: That's really fantastic. So
1: and you um, buy it, unlike the other things I've been talking about. this Yeah, is just yeah, the yeah, no,
0: I, I have one with DeWalt, and it has a little bit of, um, uh, the holder is not like a, I guess that's magnetic, but there, I have one that you pull the collar out and it snaps in. Yeah, that, that
1: kind of works. You, you pull the collar out and
0: then it right. comes out. And
1: it, you have bits with a little in little dimple, like indent. Right. And that, I assume there's a ball in there, just like in a socket set, there's a ball yeah. that right. holds yeah, it firmly. It,
0: yeah, th- th- those are really fantastic. So, Tio, let's talk about your magnificent book, which I'm going to hold up right now because I think this is by far the best book on tools that I've ever seen and I've ever read. And it's it's wonderful. it's wonderful because the knowledge in it is not something you've gotten by reading. It's through your use of the tools. And that's and really, I cry as much as
1: possible. Yeah, that's that's one reason I have so many of these tools, and and applies to my other books too. I mean, I haven't necessarily, you know, worked a job where I used every one of these tools, but I've had I have every one of these tools, and I've at least played with it. And a lot of them, I have actually used them. I mean, I've done a lot of different things um, over the years, and um, you know, I ha- have my favorite tools. As as we know, I'm now up to like. Fourteen or so, because I snuck two extra in this episode, um, and uh, I think that you know my elements book. That's something I knew quite a bit about. Like I actually slightly qualified with a degree in chemistry, um, how things work. You know, it's because I generally know some some things about how clocks and, and things work. Engines, to be perfectly honest, was a bit of a stretch. I'm not. I'm not a car buff. I, I think cars are great. I like driving them, but. You know, engines were not a thing that I have a lifetime passion for. But now tools, like tools, I love tools. I have always loved tools. My literally earliest memories of my entire life are to do with tools because I obviously cared about them much more than the people that they may have been associated with. Um, I tell a couple of those stories. I mean, tools, they're more fundamental to what I like doing than anything else um, yeah. so that I'm really happy that this uh, it's great to hear that you like this book because like it's, it's water, really
0: it's- really good it's good on several levels one is um, it's a really good overview of what's available I mean what possible tools you could have a lot of them are kind of tools you might use by hand rather than say industrial factory level things but secondly um, there, there, you also have kind of disclosed things that you favor over the others. There's value judgment, which I really like because you're saying, I have a bunch of these tools. I like this kind better than that. And that's very, very right. rare. And that's
1: not to imply that it's better, right? It's just, I like it better. Yeah, uh, maybe it's and big,
0: That's fine, but I, I find it really valuable to, to know. And then thirdly, um, there there is a sense in which um, I see uh, um, tools as possibilities. It's like um, you don't have to own all these, but it's, it's it's important to know that they're there because they unleash possible things that you never even thought about. Like, for instance, you were talking about the light and the, um, the, the gauge meter showing being able to measure down to 500 nanometers. Well, that, as you said, it just kind of opens up possible things that you never thought about even considering before. And now you say, what else could I do with a machine like this? What else could this tool do? And that is what I see this as, is as, as a catalog of possibilities as well as a, a catalog of tools.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the stories I tell in the book is uh, when I was a little kid, I don't know, I was like the height of a table. So whatever age that makes me, maybe a little higher. I um, remember a little older than that. Anyway, I had this idea for how to make a rubber band gun where it'd be like a thing that would stretch a rubber band and you would pull a trigger and it would release the rubber band. But to do this, my idea required drilling a hole sideways through a nail, and you know at that point the only kind of drill that I was allowed to use was one of those egg beater type, yeah. you know, hand, and I was thinking about like could I drill a hole through this nail? And you know, but no, the drill would it, I knew it would just keep slipping off, like, and I didn't have a drill bit that small anyway. And how is that even possible? Um, but I took it to my I think it was my uncle. Uh, my grandfather had a. Um, a a business making precision scales and things so he had they had a very fancy machine shop um and I took it to my uncle and I said help can you do something and he took me down to the, the 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 shop and he had this you know what to me at the time seemed like absolutely gigantic machine which I was probably like a normal size milling machine which is still pretty big um and he just put it in there and said oh boom done you know, it was like child's play to this machine. It's nothing. This is a Swiss, you know, machine shop with the finest uh, stuff. I mean, drilling a hole through a nail is like nothing right. compared to what the machines could do. And that just like that really kind of blew my little mind, opened my eyes to the fact that um, the stuff I was using was not the be-all and all of tools. Right. Like there's things out there that can do way more.
0: Right. Right. And so you, so you've taken, you've taken these to a lifetime of tools and your interest in exotic and unknown and unusual tools, as well as the everyday ones that you're using to build houses with and make crazy experiments. And um, you have put them into one book and you've organized them in a very clever way, um, which I actually found useful over um, the span of your book of kind of grouping things to similar functions, I guess I would say.
1: Yeah, so that that was actually, I have to give credit to my my publisher, Becky Coe, who, who, possibly in desperation after she saw the first version of the manuscript, that kind of read like a tool catalog. um, She said, why don't you organize it as a periodic table? Because, you know, your periodic table book did really well. Yeah. Um, And I initially resisted that because it seemed like just a dumb gimmick. Uh, And she wanted me to put my 118 favorite tools because... There's 118 elements. And it's like, how can you have 118 favorite anythings? Right. Um, but then I realized I can have 118 tools that spark joy, you right. know, in the canto spirit. Um right. and, and as I more I work on it, I realized it's actually that's a good number. Like that's right. a reasonable number of pages for two-page spreads. It's um, you know, it's a it's a decent number to divide tools up into, not too fine-grained, not too right, coarse-grained. Right. Right. Um, And so it worked out great. And plus it it also resulted in uh, the next thing you should see, which is the periodic table of tools poster. Okay. Because obviously, once you have tools arranged in the periodic table, you need to make a poster. Um, That is over here. So let's get a good view. There we go. So
0: we're we're seeing a large poster. That has on it a periodic table ish thing. Instead of elements, little metallic bits, you see different tools in their same, uh, they're occupying the same grid.
1: Yes. And there are lots of tools. And I, what my goal was in the poster and in the book is that, you know, I would like everyone to recognize, you know, some of these tools so that it's familiar. You know, it's like I've seen that before. That's a hammer. I know what that is. Um, but then also, fairly quickly, encounter a tool that they've never seen before. Like, I doubt there's anybody in the world, and there's including me, that um, knows what each of these tools is without reading about it, right? So everybody's going to find something in here that they have not seen before, and it's like, what is that thing? Um, you know, and of course, you can buy my book, and you'll find out. Um, and that's Like, in general, I wanted to, in the book, like, start with a common thing, and like a wood saw, right? Like a handheld wood saw, right? Very, everybody's seen one, very common thing. Um, but isn't it interesting that a surgeon's bone saw that you use for, you know, for sawing bone is virtually identical. It's like a crosscut wood saw. If you look at the teeth up close, um, there's, a, there's no difference, really. It's just made out of stainless steel, so you can, you know, sterilize it. Um, but, you know, the fact that and there's some very beautiful. There's a picture of one on the poster there. Very beautiful, sort of, you know, artistically shaped bone saws for doing different disgusting things. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I try to do that, like, throughout many of the tools, to show like how does this, how does this one idea manifest itself in different areas, um, you know, different scales, different applications. And so, yeah, I'm not a surgeon. I've ever actually used uh, a bone saw but I feel that I have a certain affinity for them because I have used wood saws. And, you know, I know the old saying about how uh, be careful with tools because they will go through your bones just about the same speed they go through wood. And I think that's kind of literally true because bone is, has a lot of same characteristics as, as wood. Yeah. As evidenced by the fact that the saws are the same right. and the drills. Right. Bone right. drills.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so, so um, I, I think it's a great genius that it that, that works out that, um, you can fit everything, all these uh, Uber Uber tools into a grid uh, on the periodic table. Um, so, so you have you have your book and you have your poster, but you also have gifted the world with a website.
1: Yes, the website table dot com. I also have Periodictable.com, dot which obviously has the chemical periodic table in it. And then uh, periodic table of tools.com has, um, it's, it's, it's basically every, well, it's actually about four times as many tools as the book does, um, but it doesn't have the text from the book. And in fact, like many of them have pretty rudimentary, if any, text at all. It's basically just pictures of lots and lots and lots of tools. Um, and I, I have ambitions at some point to like, flesh out the descriptions of all those tools. And, uh, and there's even a comment section where people can add their own comments about a particular tool. Um, I kind of ran out of time. Uh, yeah. Getting it, uh, you know, re- re- rewriting new non-copyrighted owned by my publisher descriptions of every tool. Um, so it's a little vestigial there. But the pictures are all there. And there's way more tools. Um, yeah,
0: it's, it's, it'll give you a great sense of the book um and the and, and also by the way i have to tell people um your your writing and descriptions of tools were not only very brief very clear very accurate but often very funny um so um
1: thank you i try to have some sort of personality or yeah
0: something. you do you you have a nice little um that's a sense of humor in, in these and so they're they're often sometimes tongue-in-cheek but the I enjoyed them tremendously for me it was a great. I read it from cover to cover starting at page one
1: wow that uh, yeah that's uh great great to hear so uh are you gonna weigh in on the titanium hammers question because i'm a I'm kind of scared about the the first hate mail I get about that page
0: hate mail because of because, I, because, I, it, because I, they I, because I, they don't I, work right
1: because they're dumb all i right. mean. I, I'm totally disrespectful of titanium-headed hammers. Titanium handles—that's sure, fine. Sure, But I are you saying there's
0: people it. who feel strongly otherwise?
1: I posted this question on Reddit, like r/slash tools uh, or something, okay. a while ago, and th- I mean, like, there are people who will fight you about this, and oh these are people God. who spent two hundred and fifty dollars on a titanium-headed hammer, <laughs> and I feel <laughs> an objective. Um, yeah, but oh, know, I, I think it, it, I don't
0: have that kind of um, attachment to to things to defend. I'm trying to think of if if I have an unpopular tool opinion. <laughs> I don't know if I do. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, I
1: don't know. Like, I haven't gotten any hate mail yet, but the book's only been out for a few weeks, so
0: I would think um, if you get hate mail, you should take that as a as a resounding success. Indifference right. is what you don't want. <laughs>
1: It'll probably come in the form of, you know, you're an idiot. You should shut up about hammers because you don't know what you're talking about. And I'll feel bad. I feel like that's the form of hate mail that I'm likely to get. Yeah. Um, because it just assumed that my opinion is uninformed as opposed to, I feel like, like the science is behind, is on my side here about why titanium hammers are stupid.
0: Yeah. But we'll um, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I, I, I hope that you raise controversy and, all kind of flame words about tools erupt because of your book.
1: That would be excellent. Maybe I could get banned, um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, well, I
0: don't know. Exactly. Um, you did a great job. I, I thoroughly loved it. I highly recommend it. I will be recommending it in recommendo. And um, I'm really delighted that you took time to share your um, astounding tool collection with us. Um, thank you for taking time and for, um, also offering the book in the online version, which I think is very generous.
1: Cool, well thank you. So this, this has been like the most delightful interview I've done in a long time. Thanks so thank you very much for uh, the opportunity to like nerd out about my tools.
0: Okay, great. Thank you, Tio. Have a good evening. This year, our Cool Tools blog will be 20 years old, which means we've been posting something new every day for 20 years. It's only possible because of the very engaged and knowledgeable readers and listeners like yourself. You've kept this place going, and we are very grateful for you. With this idea of 20 years in mind, um, we decided to try an experiment this year. And I'm inviting our guests and listeners to join me on our Cool Tool Show and Tell, which is the program that you're listening to right now. So if you feel you'd make a good guest on this podcast and have four uncommon tools that you'd like to share with us, um, please sign up on our form on the website, and we'll see about inviting you. You must be comfortable taking on, talking on a video, and um, you need to have some tools that you can show. Um, we record on, as you know, on Zoom. We do a YouTube version, a visual video version of it, as well as an Audible version. Fill out the form if you're interested and um, list your four, four cool tools, and we'll see if there's a good fit. The applications aren't guaranteed in any way, um, and we're looking at tools that are new to us and appropriate tools and um, whether the times will work for you. So um, we're really interested in hearing from people all over the world, not just in the U.S., although the tools have to be available online, easily available online. And um, if you are a long-time listener, you kind of know what the definition of our tools are. They're very broad. They can be anything that's handy from something in the kitchen to something you use to travel to a workshop to something professional that we may not know about. We're really interested in things that we don't know anything about. So um, this is an open invitation. We'll give it a try. If you think you make a good guess for this podcast, um, fill out the form. There'll be a link somewhere on our website. Um, and we look forward to, to chatting with you. Thank you.